Today's scripture reading is Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to thank Travis for that reading of the scripture of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Every, uh, we've been in a series on the study of the doctrines of Calvinism. And uh, perhaps if uh, you're visiting here for the first time, uh, there's been uh, uh, several lessons so far. We're in the eighth lesson. This is uh, the eighth lesson. The next uh, time I preach next month will be the ninth and the final lesson. I could have finished it today, but I didn't want to take 50, 60 minutes. That's hard work <laughs> and uh, for not only me, but for you. And uh, so uh, we'll try to do two 30-minute lessons, 35 minutes, somewhere in there. And uh, so uh, there's a lot on the last uh, one of the, the five points of Calvinism. Before we begin into the lesson... Uh, I was going to have a sign-up sheet. I'll have it after the lesson today. Uh, and if you want the slides or the copies, I'll wait till the end of the series after next month. But you'll have a, a month to eventually get your name if you want uh, copies. We have the slides or the notes or both. Uh, just put your name first and then uh, you can just say both or you can say slides or slides and whatever you want to put on just so... That is clear uh, what you want, and uh, uh, that's I'll have that out. So Wednesday night, when you come, you'll be able to see the sign-up sheet, and uh, from then on. Um, in um, that reading that we've read, we've always wanted to do it because of visitors and for us as well. Because any time you're spending uh, your uh, working and looking into a doctrinal issue, uh, Calvinism, uh, it is something that has been around for a long, long time. We'll get into that in a moment. But in the scripture reading, he gave some as apostles and pastors and teachers and so forth. And he gave these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, in those days, there were a lot of uh, uh, inspired uh, uh, teachers, or the apostles and prophets are still inspired, and they're still there. Today we have teachers, and we have elders, and we have um, uh, evangelists uh, who are not inspired. So they're subject to mistake. But we have the apostles and the prophets teaching uh, there in the Word of God. And so he gave it for the building up of the body, and uh, of course uh, that building up then is going to produce unity. Unity then, as he goes on to uh, show in, the, in those scriptures, is that to make you a mature man. So then we become mature Christians, and if you're a mature Christian, you're no longer children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. 
That word happens to be a word in, in uh, the Greek that means dice playing. And so there are tricks that false teachers will use to, I guess, seduce their subjects. And so if you're studying the Word of God, and you can insert a word. We're going to look at one of those tonight, or today, this morning. Yes. Uh, and and in the doing so, uh, we've been doing that all along. And a lot of the times, the, the proof text that the Calvinists use will be uh, those that are answered right from the text itself. We looked at several of those. And so there's nothing to be afraid of. However, it's there's doctrines out there that sound logical when you first see them. Uh, there's some out there that even after you study for a long time that you scratch your head. How can this be? But as the scriptures begin to take over and see and come to the light, then the light is what is, we are to see and not the darkness that's taught by false teachers and we become subject to that. So we are going to then, uh, as, as we have that unity, uh, we're no longer children, uh, we are going to speak the truth in love. And that's what we want to try to do this morning, is speak the truth in love. In every lesson, and every Bible teacher, that's the goal. And, uh, and, and uh, that's, that's great. And uh, so we are going to grow up in all aspects into Christ. Uh, we're going to have then each part, each individual is going to do the proper working. Uh, and of each individual part, and as we do that, then we grow. And notice the, the, as it ends, it says, building up of itself in love. Well, how does the church grow? It has nothing to do with what's going on around it. It has nothing to do with it. The church grows in and of itself. It, it doesn't grow from the outside in. It grows from the inside out. And so we build ourselves up in love. So as we study and uh, look at this, uh, we'll spend very little time in review, but way back probably in the first lesson, we looked at the history and the leaders of Calvinism. It really began way back in Augustine, we're talking 400 uh, uh, A.D. So it's not something new, it's been around a long time, but the influence of that false doctrine is still with us today. And we'll talk to a little bit more about that. Then John Calvin came along. Uh, he, took, he put it in writing. He gave it some order. He systemized it. Uh, Augustine's philosophy. Then there was James Arminius uh, in the uh, uh, mid-1550s, 1600. He disagreed with Augustine and Calvin. And so mo- uh, uh, it, it was uh, modified the doctrines of Calvinism. And then they had the Synod of Dort in 1618, and that has a lot of influence even today. And so as a result, this was the reply to the heresies, what they called the heresies of Arminius, and probably some of them were. Um, But uh, there is uh, where the Calvinists themselves came up with this term called tulip. And each uh, uh, letter stands for a doctrine. And it's, uh, it's pretty much in, in order. You can uh, situate, uh, this is the original doctrine. So you had the total hereditary depravity. You were born then as a sinner. You're born lost. You're totally depraved. There's nothing you can do. So for anything that is to be done, has to be done from God or from the outside. 
because we can't do anything of ourselves. And so there is no really self-will. And so as we looked at that doctrine, we saw the difference that between conditional and unconditional. And so there, God, God has conditions attached to it. We read it all over the scriptures. And yet, uh, then this doctrine says it's unconditional. There's nothing you can do. God has to do it all. Uh, because if we had self-will, then in their mind, it takes away from the, um, the, the power of God. Uh, because God loses control in some sense uh, in that way. But we know that's not true. Then unconditional election is a form to you. Limited atonement uh, is the L. Uh, irresistible grace. And today we're going to look at perseverance of uh, the saints. Um, this uh, idea of perseverance of the saints is uh, something that um, is, is um, uh, where, it, you know, once saved, always saved is the idea. Security of the uh, believer. Uh, the impossibility of apostasy, apostasy, and then there would be uh, uh, once in grace, always in grace. And that's the idea of being uh, the perseverance of the saints. And so here we have these doctrines. And while many are not willing to accept all the teachings of Calvinism, we're still affected by it. People are affected by some of the teachings. Uh, many years have passed since Calvinism and since all these doctrines were formed, is, but they've been modified and they come out in a different form now. And so what is often taught today in a denominational way, denominational churches, you'll see it. And I, uh, even bringing this uh, study up and, and, uh, and me thinking about it a lot, I begin to see it all over the place and see it and read it in, uh, it's, uh, in songs and so forth about being a born sinner. You probably maybe have heard that song. I just heard it, uh, part of it. Uh, I don't know where or when, but uh, I heard that song. And I go, well, they, they even have that there. So there was a lot of that. So what is often taught today? Well, okay, you're every, most everyone believes that you're a born sinner. They don't accept unconditional election and limited atonement, or they don't know about it, or they haven't studied it. But irresistible grace, the Holy Spirit working upon the heart of an individual in a separate way from the Word of God. And we looked at that uh, in the last lesson. And uh, then perseverance of the saints, once uh, saved, always saved. And that's what we'll be looking at today. So those three out of the five are pretty prevalent still today. Although it's maybe come out in different uh, forms. Uh, so I might say, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And once you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, then you ask for the Holy Spirit to come in and help you understand the Bible, what you read. And so you can't understand it, just you and the Bible. You have to have that. Well, can you see the problem with that? That uh, one person reads uh, uh, the Bible and uh, the Holy, well, the Holy Spirit helped me. Another person over here, the, well, the Holy Spirit helped me. They had different ideas and different views. Well, so what's with the Holy Spirit? That means that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is divided and teaching different things to different people. And that's what really we have the idea of denominationalism is people think just that. But no, God has only had one teaching. He's only had one truth uh, that we have. 
And uh, we're going to be sanctified by the truth. We're going to be set apart by the truth. And the truth is what will set you free. Not these other doctrines and not things that twist the truth around. And uh, so uh, then, then, uh, then once you have the Holy Spirit and it's working on you, then you can never be lost. You're saved all the time. You're saved for all. For all. There is one new idea that when we read some of the original things that they have, that has been introduced into uh, the, the doctrine of Calvinism. And uh, I didn't realize just how new it was until I did some more reading. Uh, one member here pointed out, boy, I never knew that before. Well, see, I never knew it before I taught it. <laughs> and uh, that was the, uh, the first I heard about it. So it's fairly new. And it is the idea of free choice. So you don't have any free choice. But all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit works upon you, now you have the free choice because the Holy Spirit helped you understand it. And so now you're going to be this. And if you fall away, the idea is, and of course uh, the Baptists will teach this, and I was a, a, a Baptist, there were some other people that are Baptists, and they agreed, and we talked about this before, and uh, uh, that, you, well, you're never saved in the first place. You see, there's always a convenient out of uh, a little thing. But where do we find all of this in the Scriptures? And uh, there's where we do not. Um, and so the fifth tenet, uh, final tenet of Calvinism is uh, what we're going to look at this morning. Now let's look at the logic of Calvinism. So if all of these things are true, if one of them is true, all of them are true. But also, if one is false, then all are going to be false. We talked about this before in more detail. Um, but the logic of it is that you're totally depraved. Okay, so then ushers in the unconditional election. Then God is going to uh, unconditionally, uh, apart from your free will, just going to suit, choose some to be saved and some to be lost. In fact, then there's a limited atonement would be follow the next. It was so closely related to it. Is that that number is so fixed you can't either add to it or subtract from it. So if you don't want to be saved, and yet you're chosen to be saved, you don't have a say on it. And, you, and, and vice versa. So that's the, the idea. Now, will they admit to that? Probably not. But that's what the, the, the logic is. So then... When you have then the, uh, the Holy Spirit working on you in an irresistible way, then there's, there's nothing you can do to be saved. And there's nothing you can do to remain saved. Once you're saved, you're in. You can live. And I'll show you some uh, writings here that uh, show you a little bit. So this is expressed by the Calvinists themselves. Westminster Confession of Faith is what the Presbyterians use. And um, Presbyterians uh, is, is uh, where this would be coming from. They, they too, they whom God had accepted. Now, uh, uh, I knew a lady that was a Presbyterian, and yet when you talk to her about, you know, you know that the Presbyterians teach that you're born uh, lost, and, and you're a little baby is uh, wicked, and they're, they're, not, they're, they're, they're a sinner, and... And uh, this lady said, no, I don't believe that. Well, that's what, that's what they teach. So you show it to them in their book, and this is one of those places. Effectually called sanctified by a spirit, neither totally or finally fall away from the state of grace. Shall, but shall certainly uh, persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Uh, another statement uh, is by the, the same in a different chapter, a couple chapters over. 
this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their free will. See, not upon their free will. But now they're teaching free will. Um, and um, uh, to, after that point, after a certain point, uh, upon the, uh, the decree of election flowing free, uh, from the free and unchangeable love of God, the Father, upon the efficiency of the merit of the intercession of Jesus Christ, uh, peace, uh, at the end of it, there's a little bit more, but peace with the new Adam. Remember the old Adam? He was this one that brought sin into the world, according to them. And now then the new Adam is Jesus Christ, and he will bring it in. We'll have some more to say about that. We're just looking at these and uh, have a summation of what uh, what they uh, have done. Uh, here is one from a, a Baptist preacher, and uh, I most of them I've talked to have uh, talked about this, uh, agreed to some parts of it or all of it. Here, all the prayers a man can pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay. Does that sound like you? Yeah. Well, here's, here's a lot more. All the benevolent acts uh, that he may perform will not make his soul one bit safer. And all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul any more in danger. So it has nothing to do with, you know, right or wrong even. Obeying or not obeying uh, to God. Looking at the Bible and following the Bible or not following the Bible. You could do all of those things. And it won't make any difference. The way a man lives has nothing whatsoever to do with the salvation of his soul. There you go. No free will. God is going to have to do it all. Well then, let's say God has to do it all, but he all not saved. So where do we leave the blame? We have to leave the blame with God, according to their view. For the ones that are lost. Well, that's not going to fly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I'm getting ahead of myself uh, in the next lesson. Uh, we'll talk about that. So as we look at uh, John Calvin himself, he brought in the idea of the doctrine of imputation. Impute. We're going to look at that word a little bit today. Uh, it's not a Greek lesson or class, but we're going to have to be familiar with a little bit how this works. Now, that's a good word, actually. When you look at the definition of the word. But they added a little thing with that word. Well, let's, let's look what Calvin says. The grace which they call uh, accepting is nothing else in the, in, than the free goodness with which the Father embraces uh, us in Christ when he clothed us with the innocence of Christ and accepts it as ours. So that in the consideration of it, he regards us as holy, pure, and innocent. For the righteousness of Christ, as it alone is perfect, so it alone can stand the scrutiny of God. Our imperfection and purity, covered with purity, are not imputed. And it basically, he is this uh, saying, and, and we'll sum this up along with the other statements that were already made. The elect sinner is clothed in the personal righteousness of Christ. That's what an imputation of Christ. So you can be a sinner. You can keep on sinning. You can, you know, it doesn't matter. Because if you have, if you are one of the chosen ones, you have the righteousness of Christ who is perfect. He covers your sins. He takes over your sins. So it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. Now see, to a degree, 
We have our sins covered. Yes. We have an advocate called uh, the, the Father is an advocate for us. He's a lawyer in uh, court of law before Satan. I mean, he, you know, here you can't touch that one. And so this is in First John chapter uh, four and uh, or three and four. So here again, uh, they don't see the sins of the elect. Only the personal righteousness of Christ. There's no need to be concerned with uh, doing righteousness if he is one whom God has elected to save. Guilt of Adam's sin was imputed. Now, there is another word that is added. We're going to see in the Webster's Dictionary, they have this word too. It means transferred. Well, it, it, you may, if you understand the meaning of the word, then you can understand that the way they're using the word transfer. But they make a different twist on the whole thing. To the human race. Let's look in uh, Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. So every person has sinned. Their own sin. It's not the sin of Adam. We've all sinned. And then uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's an easy scripture in in Romans 3.23. And then verse 18, so then as through one transgression, that's there resulted condemnation to all men, even, that's talking about Adam, uh, in the context it mentions that too, and we talked about this in detail, uh, even though through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so that uh, through the obedience of of the one, the many will be made righteous. Yes, Christ came and undid what Adam did. He's able to have the remedy for sin uh, as a result. But here, the guilt, since the guilt was transferred to all humans, that means the innocence is transferred to all who are chosen. They don't say all humans, they say all who are chosen. Uh, That it's only... Uh, so they offer a second invitation to the elect only, not just uh, everyone. Uh, here's another, uh, some other things that we, that we read and studied uh, in the past. Allows the elect to continue to sin because Christ lived a sinless life in his place and the perfection of Christ now clothes the elect. The elect are relieved of any responsibility for living a godly life. He does not even have to correct his wrongs because he will not be judged by his own actions, but by the perfect life Jesus lived. And this was actually a doctrine that was floating around the church and some of the magazines were talking about this. And it was a little bit over my head at the time. And uh, this was back in the 70s, 1970s and 80s maybe. You may have heard of it, uh, it's, but it hit the church, uh, and especially back east. Uh, uh, quite a bit more than than this appeared to be out here. Well, here is uh, the response to and some uh, what they'll bring up is Romans four three. Romans four three. Now we're going to study this word uh, impute and Romans four three. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited. Now that's this uh, word, uh, logizomai, was used in business terms to put on one's account. 
And it was translated in many different uh, uh, ways uh, throughout the scriptures. Translated, sometimes it meant reason, sometimes numbered, reckoned, counted, for, conclude, thinks, thought, suppose, count. In uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, this is one of the places where that word is used, logismi. Uh, it various forms. There's different endings, and of course, you're not going to. It's not going to. You're not going to see the exact word, but that's the root word. And uh, so, brethren, I count not myself have apprehended. Uh, so he didn't count himself as apprehending, but so he took into account. Uh, he he took into it. They put on the one's account, and that was used in uh, business quite a bit. So then, as we look now in some scriptures where this word is used. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, the King James uses it, but none of the, the translations are innocent. We'll show that in a minute. Uh, but in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, that word is, uh, now to the one who works his wage is not credited. Uh, I, that's in the New American Standard, uh, uh, or the NA, yeah, New American Standard Version. Uh, reckoned is from the King James, AS, uh, American Standard, and the King James. Now that is good. Uh, New King James was counted. Um, verse 5, uh, credited, counted, accounted uh, in the New King James. The King James says counted. That's a good, good way in the context of the whole thing. And we're going to see how this, uh, the only way it will fit anything else uh, later. So, and then verse 9 to 10, uh, the translations, the four major translations I, that I've picked out, were credited, reckoned. Reckoned is uh, used all the way through by the American Standard Version. Credited is used all the way through by the New American Standard. So there's consistency there. And there was consistency in, in uh, um, the, uh, uh, you know, throughout all those, all of those. 9 and 10, and then notice verse 13 where it says, not imputed, and all four of the translations put in not imputed. Well, when you look at that uh, word uh, in uh, Romans 5.13, I'll just look in the text uh, for a moment. Um, Romans 5.13. It says, uh, uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. See, so sin is not credited, is not counted where there is no law. There's doesn't count. And so imputed is a good word when used in that way. Uh, and so, there, and then of course, the, from Adam to Moses, there was law. And the next verse goes on to say, and so it just merely says then that there is going to be uh, a county uh, of sin. And, uh, but, but notice uh, in uh, 5.13, it's a different word, not imputed. That's why all four translations did that. And it's only used two times, and it means to charge to one's account. And uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse uh, 18 says, But if... Uh, if uh, talking about uh, Philemon, uh, or if Paul uh, in to Philemon, 
It says, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you, talking about a, a slave that was converted and, and now Paul wants him to come back uh, to Philemon. And so if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So it means just to charge to one's account. And uh, so it's only used two times. The rest of those times that we're seeing now, we're looking at legitimate. But notice what happens when we begin to look at the other translations and then the King James. Now, King James is good. I, I like them all. Now, I, I don't want you, anybody to get me wrong. Uh, I used a New American Standard, and, you know, there's some things in there I don't like about it. I mean, there, I mean, you know, we'd have to write a new translation every few years or something to, to update it because uh, they they're all have areas. But that's good. The more Bibles and translations that we have, the more that we could use and study and see the consistency and see uh, what we want to use. Well, when you look at what the word means, credit or account, uh, and, and uh, four, six. But the King James put impute. And now there's like eight times, maybe nine times, that the King James has used the word impute rather than credit or anything. But they did up here the same word. They did, they did on the previous page of uh, Romans 4, 3, 4, 5, uh, and uh, some other one, 9 and 10. But here they weren't used the word impute. 4, 8 does, uh, does not impute, does not take into account. Uh, accredited, uh, just imputed, all the way down. Second Corinthians five nineteen, not imputing. Uh, Genesis five six is quoted in Romans chapter four and verse three, and uh, it uh, it talks about. Um, um, let's see verse uh, Genesis fifteen six, yes, and uh, it and and it. It's quoted in uh, uh, James 2.23 also. So reckoned, accounted, imputed, counted, accounted. You know, so it gets kind of confusing. And then uh, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, the, word is, uh, the word there in uh, King James, they don't put, they put accounted or imputed. They don't really make up their mind one way or another. And that's, that's fine. Uh, either one of those in, in that text. But when we're talking about this and then transferring their sins and becoming the righteousness of Christ, this is where they, uh, the imputation of Christ becomes uh, uh, important to the Calvinist. And uh, so we'll, what we're going to do now is to look. We've been looking at the word credit. Charge to one's account. Now notice what uh, is said in in uh, um, four three I think it is yeah for what does the scripture say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness so here. Is uh, so here. Here's where it's credited as righteousness. He believed God, his righteous life that he lived. We'll look at that in a moment. So let's say uh, you sin one sin today, and uh, you you're not able to pay it. Can you pay your sin? 
can, uh, sin has to be paid. Either Abraham or God's going to have to pay it. God's not going to pay it. So Abraham has to pay his sin. But he says here he gets a credit. He didn't say he paid for his sin. He said he credited him as righteousness. In other words, there's some day where his sin's going to be paid for by God. We'll look at that in a moment. But God gave Abraham credit for his faith, and the result is his righteousness. And that's what he did. That's why he gave him credit. We'll see that. When, uh, when was the promise paid? So let's look at the, all these. Nine sins the next day. Well, you got to add it. You can't. You have zero payment, no payment. You have 14 sins over here, and all the, that's the balance. That's what you owe. Charge that to your account. You owe for all those sins. Now we can go up into the millions uh, in our lifetime. Uh, so I just use that for an example. And uh, so, uh, who's going to pay our sin? God is. But God couldn't pay. He didn't pay it then. The, the blood of the the, uh, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Let's notice what does take away sin, and when will that be taken away? That's in Hebrews chapter ten, beginning in verse twelve. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, that's what he's going to be credited for all the sins that he commits, because he's not a perfect man. And then when Christ dies, that one act will take care of all the sins of everyone that was righteous and lived in the past. But they were forgiven back then because of the promise. God made a promise that he will do this, but yet he can do it as if it's already fulfilled, already happened. And he's made a lot of prophecies like that. So he can actually say, I forgive you, because someday that blood will be offered. And you'll be forgiven. And that's going, to, that's going to be a fact. That's going to happen. And it did happen, didn't it? So that was uh, the, the way it was. But having one sacrifice for, uh, for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies... Uh, uh, to us uh, for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them and after those days says the Lord I will put my laws in their hearts and on their mind I will write them and then he says and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more now where there is forgiveness of these things there is no longer an offering for sin there is no longer any need for a credit God will forgive our sins and so we've all entered in this covenant. Abraham entered into a covenant with God. And of course he, because of the promise. And uh, he became part of that. And he kept his part. And God kept his part. And so Christ's perfect light was credited to Abraham before Christ even died. But it was perfected when he died. And that sacrifice was for all time. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament, they can come together as one under the blood of Christ, under Christ. And of course, they are no longer here, so they don't obey the commands of the New Testament. We do. And so then the idea of the church and the whole thing and everything else in the Old Testament was a shadow. The temple was a shadow. And uh, so Hebrews goes into that. Uh, That was great in the Old Testament. But this is better and the new, better Savior and, and Christ.
so here is what kind of faith? Somebody might say, well, faith was, uh, uh, Abraham was declared righteous without doing anything. That's what the Calvinists want to teach. You don't have to do a thing to, to get uh, to be righteous. But see, notice what kind of faith he had. He wasn't one that didn't do anything. He did plenty. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Through him we received grace and apostleship, bringing about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. So what do you think the rest of the book of uh, Romans is going to be about? It's going to have to include obedience. Just because the, there's the, sometimes the word faith is used without the word obedience doesn't mean obedience is not included. Or just because obedience and faith are used together and uh, baptism is not used doesn't mean that baptism is not necessary or confessing your sins or repenting. And so you don't have to have all five or all six of those things in the same verse next to each other forever and ever as you read the Bible. We understand those things because we put those things together because the sum of thy word is truth. S-U-M is the total truth. So what kind of faith did he have? Well, well, the beginning of the book was obedient faith. At the end of the book, chapter 16, verse 25 and 26, Now to him who was able to establish you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret long past, verse 26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to obedience of faith. So faith only is discussed in the book of Romans. Obedient faith is what's discussed. And just to make sure that we didn't get the wrong idea in the middle of the book, he began the book and ended the book with the obedience of faith. So that's what... That's what uh, Abraham had. He had an obedient faith. Uh, James chapter uh, 2 and uh, verse 23. Now this is a quote, quoting Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned or counted it to him as righteousness. So Paul uh, or... or uh, Paul is teaching uh, that uh, by faith they obeyed. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and, uh, beginning in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive inheritance and so forth. So when he was called, he obeyed that call. He left the Ur of the Chaldees and he went where God said to the, uh, to the promised land. He never quite made it, but uh, his... his uh, 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 his uh, descendants did. Um, so the next thing is that what's right about Abraham's faith, it satisfied the conditions of God. That was the conditions that God made in those days. Today he, what he has the new covenant is in place. And that's what uh, we all fall under today. And so Genesis uh, chapter 12, I'm not going to read all the verses. We're going to look at it. That's when he called Abraham, and Abraham obeyed. Abraham built two altars to the Lord in Genesis 12, 7 and 8, 13, 4. Uh, and those altars are still in between Bethel and Ai, I believe it is. And, uh, and the, he built it in the same place. The second one is he did the first. Genesis 14, 19 through 20, he, he gave me 
Melchizedek, who was a high priest, didn't have beginning or end, which uh, was a, a type of Christ. And, and so uh, Abraham gave Melchizedek one-tenth of everything he had. And what did Melchizedek do? Only the higher can bless the lesser. The lesser can't bless. You know, you hear this word, I bless you. Well, how do you know? Like, who's, who's higher? Is that person higher than me? Or lower than me? You know, see, it's the higher blesses the lower. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so that's the, the way that we use the word today. Uh, we, that's the way we should use the word today. Um, in um, uh, chapter 15, God promised Abraham a son. And he believed it by faith and hope. They tried to bring it uh, themselves, but that didn't work out too well. They're trying to fix God's plan and promise that he made. And, uh, of course, they did bring a son, Isaac, and uh, he uh, had hope against hope. And, of course, uh, he knew that God would raise his son when he was, offered, uh, he was to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And God stopped him from doing that. Uh, in Genesis 18:19, well, why did God choose Abraham? Well, let's uh, let's look in um, Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have chosen him. This is God speaking. Why he chose Abraham? Was he just somebody who didn't do anything? Now he says, I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Well, he picked a man who was going to teach his children, who was going to pass on to his children the, uh, the things of God, what God wanted them to know. And so Abraham was uh, faithful. He was obedient in doing that. He left the Ur of the Chaldees. He did everything uh, that uh, was expected of him, uh, of God. And then, uh, I want to debate the next two charts, <laughs> whether we should go on or not. Well, um, let, let's go on real quick. Whoops, whoops, I got the wrong one. I think I better stop. That's a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop right there. Okay, let's uh, let's stop. I just want to offer an invitation. And just a moment, man. I've been way back here. There we go. We can go off with it. Okay, you just ignore that. We're going to offer the invitation. We're going to pick up where we left off there, and uh, so we, we need to hear the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. We need to repent and change our life, uh, and we do that as we grow in Christ. Uh, we confess Jesus as our Lord. We're baptized into Christ. But that doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. Uh, we are to remain faithful unto death. We are to then work and worship with the local uh, church that teaches the truth. And uh, practice the truth and fellowship with them. And uh, we are to uh, uh, live our lives in our community in a way that reflects that we belong to Christ. So if you have in any way uh, need prayers or need to be baptized into Christ, perhaps you have uh, remembered uh, or studied it and uh, realized you need to make that decision and bring it to action, well, we can baptize you today. So whatever the need is, we ask you to come forward, make those desires known.
as we stand and sing the song that's selected.